1: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, host of the original Southern Remedy, the show where I answer your medical questions. Subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on any podcasting app.
0: pb think radio this is southern remedy women's health where we discuss issues involving women's health i'm dr jasmine Kinsey, assistant professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at ummc Happy Friday, everybody. It is not the beautiful weather that we've had these past few weeks. It's definitely kind of rainy and gloomy, but everyone, please be safe out on the road. If you're listening to this while you drive or anyone else that's going to be getting out there, make sure you're being careful while you're out there today. As I mentioned on the intro, it is October, and I feel like everybody knows October as the National Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So today I have with me Dr. Barbara Kraft, who is one of our professors of medicine and oncology at UMMC. So we're excited to have you on today. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming. And so, um, Barbara, tell us a little
1: bit about what you do. Um, So I have been at UMMC coming on 25 years now, um, which is crazy to think it's been that long, but I do breast medical oncology. So um, we take care of our breast cancer patients really from diagnosis all through their journey um, into survivorship and, you know, hopefully long-term cures for lots of people. And um, so I do the chemotherapy, the endocrine therapy, and help coordinate their surgical journey, radiation, oncology, things like that.
0: So awesome. And I think you wear a few hats at UMC. So you're the dire-
1: director of our Breast yes. Cancer Treatment Center as well. Yes, yes. Um, so. I, and I've been doing that since I started there, um, like I said, a, f- a few years ago. Well, well, awesome. And native of Jackson? Yeah. Well, I'm from Mississippi originally. I'm actually from the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Um, Went to college in Hattiesburg at the University of Southern Mississippi and then have been in Jackson ever since I graduated. With the exception of one year, my husband and I um, and our son, who was like eight months at the time, moved to Houston, Texas. And there I spent some time at MD Anderson doing breast medical oncology and phase one cancer clinical trials. Awesome.
0: Well, like I said before, we're excited to have you. And as you can hear, we, you are well-versed in the management of, of breast cancer. And this is my go-to person. I know Dr. Kraft every now and then gets those messages in her in basket that I'm like, Dr. Kraft, what do I do with this? I think I know what this path result means, but I want to make sure they don't need to see you. Um, so I really hope to spend this next hour um, really... A1, I want to answer any of the questions and with uh, Dr. Kraft, answer any questions that you guys may have about breast cancer because we're really here to educate and just answer things that you may have or things that are on your mind and it is so confusing, I will say to Google things. Not only is it confusing it's terrifying, honestly some of the things that pop up. So I'm just going to start, I always start off with just a few statistics and I want Dr. Kraft to jump in if I get any of this wrong but most of the websites seem to be Consistent across the board, looking at breastcancer.org and some of the um, other websites, that about 13% or one in eight U.S. women are going to in- develop breast cancer in their yes. lifetime. So, to me, you know, that's a pretty fairly big number. And it even gave an estimate that in 2023, approximately 30% of all new female cancers diagnosed will be breast cancer. So, that's a big that's right. chunk that's right. um, of, of cancer. But honestly, despite saying all that, the great news is the earliest we detect it, the more localized it is, the five-year survival rate is around 99%. That's right. That's impressive. Yes,
1: yes. And the earlier we detect it, like you said, the easier it is to treat. So, you know, especially after what we've gone through with COVID, and unfortunately, lots of people miss their screenings and some of their health care during that time. um, You know, we are seeing some people with later stage disease but so I would just encourage people now if if you've gotten behind to Mm -hmm. please get in there get your screenings done not only for breast cancer but any other cancer screenings you may need
0: Exactly. And I just always start this way in medicine. We always when we're speaking in medicine, we always make the assumption that people know what we're talking about and everybody knows everything. So if you just had to kind of put it basically, how would you describe what is breast cancer?
1: Um, So breast cancer are, you know, I mean, it is it was at some point normal breast tissue that has changed. And a lot of times it can start with some atypical cells. So not your normal cells. And those can evolve and mutate and then um, become abnormal, become cancer. And then it can spread, you know, past the breast um, to either your local lymph nodes under your arms. And unfortunately, sometimes it goes other places to other organs.
0: Definitely. And it's, uh, again, I would probably say one of the ones that people are most commonly known when we talk about cancer is breast cancer, the one that's that's talked about the most. So tell me a little bit, and as I mentioned before, we'll kind of talk a little bit going through the hour, hopefully to educate about screening, different options, um, different stages and treatment and things like that. But some of the things I kind of want to start off covering, what are people's risk factors? What puts us at risk for breast cancer?
1: Sure, sure. Well, unfortunately, still most cases of breast cancer are sporadic, okay? And so we don't always have a reason. Why someone got breast cancer, otherwise, other than just being unlucky, unfortunately. Um, but we do know that being overweight or obese can increase your risk of breast cancer. Alcohol intake can increase your risk. Anything that increases your exposure to estrogens, whether unfortunately hormone replacement, um, you know, birth control, lots of different things. If you start your period later in life, you know, go through menopause later, um, or I'm sorry, start your period earlier, go through menopause later, anything that increases your exposure to estrogen can increase your risk of breast cancer. And then there are some people, it's actually a small percentage of people who have a, um, you know, a gene mutation, the most commonly known ones are BRCA1, BRCA2, but there's lots of other genes that put you at increased risk, as well as having a family history. So I always tell people it's important to know your family history, um, especially your mother, sister, um, grandparents, but any other family history, it's good to know. Definitely. And I think that's
0: the kind of hardest part about it is most of these cases are, you know, no one in the family. They're the first in the family um, to be diagnosed. And so I have a lot of people that are just kind of like, where did this come from? And so, you know, those are definitely some things that can increase the risk. So how do you I guess the, the challenges I oftentimes get in my clinic is is patients trying to make those decisions about Being on birth control and and being on, you know, hormone replacement therapy,
1: is that is it a significant risk? You know, we always talk about risk benefit. Right. Right. So I think. And I, I think with cancer in general, I think the important thing to know is that everyone is an individual, and what applies to me doesn't necessarily apply to you. So certainly, I mean, lots of people are on birth control, and and I think that's a good thing. Um, but I think if you have a strong family history of breast cancer, I think I think you should know that and maybe talk to your gyn about it to see what other options you have that maybe don't contain hormones. Um, same for hormone replacement. I mean, that's very important for lots of women, Mm -hmm. for lifestyle, for um, your relationships um, with your significant others. Um, You know, hormone replacement is a good thing, but you need to know your risk. And I think more and more we're just trying to do things, lower dose estrogens um, for maybe the shortest amount of time you need them. But, But certainly know your risks. I'm not saying those medicines are bad because they're very useful for lots of things. (laughs) Um, But I just think you need to know your family history and your personal risk. And the GYNs are great about Mm -hmm. having everyone fill out, you know, a risk assessment, family history. And so they're really good at, at knowing where you are with that. And as I say, probably y'all, I feel like I sound like a broken record on Fridays as I'm saying, you know, we're presenting
0: this information to you. But just like um, Dr. Krafft said, remember that it's very individualized. Everyone's an individual. And that's why I always encourage you to talk to your doctor about your personal, you know, medical history, your family right. history, other medical problems that you have, um, because all of it just contributes and everybody's story and journey is a little bit different. That's um, right. And so your doctor can really help you break down those things in general.
1: And that's a. I think that's the thing. I mean, talk to your doctor. You know, we we can't read minds. So please, I mean, tell us anything we need to know. If you have questions, ask. And I always tell people, because a lot of times just sitting in the office, it's overwhelming. You forget. You're going to go home and someone say, well, why didn't they do this? Because they did this for me or they Mm -hmm. did this for so-and-so. Or I read this on the Internet. So I just encourage people to always write down your questions. Bring them with you message on my chart or whatever electronic records you've got. I mean, we really want to know your questions and know what information you have to help us. Yep. And you
0: made a great point that like, please talk to your doctor because they're like, well, they yeah, they did this for my friend and they didn't do it for me. And I feel like people's automatic thing is, well, I didn't get the good as good of care as my friend. And that's not always right. the case. And this right. is actually a wonderful example of that, that sometimes the different testing and, and modalities that we use can vary based right. off of your risk and what type of tests you do.
1: That's right. That's right. Because, you know, standard, and I know we'll probably talk more about this, but standard screening is with mammograms. Mm-hmm. But some people who are at risk actually need breast MRI as well. And one group I didn't mention is, you know, there are people who had childhood cancers and maybe got radiation for that, and and they need more aggressive screening with breast MRIs and mammograms.
0: So true. Well, you brought up a a big... uh, thing that I feel like I get a lot of questions on and I still kind of struggle a little bit with answering for some of my patients is the risk when we talk about the genes and like who should be tested for BRCA1 and BRCA2 and what is the best way of doing
1: that? Right. So, um, you know, like I said, the biggest thing is know your family history. And it's very important if you have a family member who has breast cancer, those are the best people to really test is those people who are affected with the disease because if we find a mutation in them then we know what to look for most commonly Mm -hmm. in family members um so i think that's the biggest thing is just knowing your family history not many people have the gene but we are testing more and more people every day definitely and i always tell people we and we don't in in the
0: medicine world we don't take it lightly because unfortunately there's also companies that are out there that just will test all that for you (laughs) and then I get patients that that causes a good bit of distress because then it's like what does this mean you know for me Um, so just always before you're kind of going down that road of those tests make sure you kind of have a good detailed history about what this means before kind of doing that because it can be scary because when it's positive you're like then what do I do what do I do what is the next step from MPB Think Radio this is Southern Remedy Women's Health we discuss issues involving women's health. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey, assistant professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at UMMC and as I mentioned earlier, it's October and it's National Breast Cancer Awareness Month and I have on Dr. Barbara Kraft with me today who's a professor um, of medicine in the Division of Oncology at UMMC and she's essentially our breast specialist um, at the institution. So we have just started the morning off just going a little bit over about what are the risk factors of breast cancer, a um, little bit about the statistics, one in eight women in their lifetime will probably be diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, and so just to remember, call us with your questions at one mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. So we've kind of gotten through that part about what increases our risk. What is breast cancer? Are there typically any signs outside of people palpating of sure. mass in their breasts that point us towards breast cancer? Anything
1: else? Sure. So I think probably the most common, like you says, most people find, or a lot of people find a lump. Um, and I think what's important to know about that is some of these breast cancers can come up Pretty quickly. And so, even if you just had your mammogram a few months ago, if you find a new lump, you should definitely bring it to the attention of your doctor. Um, So, a lump is the most common. Um, Lots of people do get diagnosed just on their routine screening mammograms. Mm -hmm. So, it's very important that you're doing those. And the American Cancer Society and U.S. Preventive Services Task Force, again, are recommending age 40 and then either yearly or every two years after that. So, make sure you're doing that. And I know again, like we talk about our GYN colleagues, a lot of them will even start earlier sometimes and offer women a mammogram at age 35 or 38. So I would stay on top of that because sometimes you don't have any symptoms. Um, then I would say a lump is most common. Um, the other thing is it may be a lump in your breast or it may be a lump under your arm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, so I think you need to be aware of both of those and Seek medical attention. Sometimes women can have what's called inflammatory breast cancer, and it doesn't present as a lump, but it can present as skin changes. It can be red, um, the skin kind of gets tight, and we call it this peau d'orange appearance. So it kind of looks like the surface of an orange. That is not common, but if you are not a lactating female, Typically, you should not get mastitis. And so unfortunately, sometimes we have patients come to us and they've gotten several rounds of antibiotics for what people think is mastitis, and it's actually cancer. So it may not be just a lump. Um, If you start having skin changes, nipple discharge, bloody nipple discharge, things like that, I would definitely talk to your doctor about that and get it checked out.
0: And as you kind of mentioned, kind of palpating a lump, I feel like it's mixed information about if people should be doing right. self-breast exams. Sure. So what is your take on that? Should women, and if so, how often? Right.
1: So yes, a lot of the guidelines, it's it's definitely mixed. Mm-hmm. I do think it's important to do self-breast exams because lots of women find lumps between mammograms. What I tell people to do is do them once a month, you know, pick your birthday, for example. So say if your birthday is February. 8th. Do it on the 8th of each month. Um, You know, a lot of people do it in the shower or when they're laying down. And I think the biggest thing is just consistency Mm -hmm. and um, knowing what is normal for you. Because some people have more dense breasts than others. You just kind of need to know your normal. And if you have questions, ask your doctor about it. But I think if you check once a month, you should kind of figure out if something's new going on. That makes sense. Do you have an age that you recommend? Um, you know, I would say probably mid-20s okay. if you are of average risk. Gotcha. And I think that. And I think that's
0: honestly what's been most terrifying of so many people right. is we are seeing so many younger patients right. being diagnosed with breast cancer. Because even just when I was in residency and some of my co-residents, you know, in their right. late 20s that's right. being diagnosed with breast cancer. So yes. I think starting in the 20s is a yeah. I, pretty good idea. Yeah, like I said, time. I
1: think if you're average risk, I think start mid 20s. If you had, say, your mother had breast cancer diagnosed when she was 30, then you may want to start 10 years before that. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like our rule of thumb, usually 10 years before your relative was diagnosed. Gotcha. And I will say this every
0: time I'm kind of preparing for um, the radio show and kind of looking at any changes in guidelines. One of the things that I read that I was like, OK, I need to start doing making sure I'm doing this in my clinic is they were even saying now that your providers sp- should be doing a risk assessment tool like mid 20s on you in clinic. Sure. So sure. can a patient
1: do their own risk assessment online? Would you, you really, recommend that or um, you could certainly <laughs> um, there are some risk assessment tools on. Tire um, Cusick is one. Mm-hmm. There's an IBIS risk assessment tool. Um, there, of course, is the Gale model. That's the old one. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly, I mean, with these days, you can Google it and, and kind of plug it. in your numbers. Um, if you think you're high risk, I would definitely probably start with your primary care provider mm-hmm. or your OBGYN and talk about that.
0: Definitely. And if people are wondering, what is she talking about risk assessment? So usually, like, as, as providers, there's special calculators that we have for things and they'll account
1: things like your age, you know, family history, age of diagnosis if you've had a breast biopsy age of diagnosis of your family mm -hmm. member Yep. certainly. All
0: those things, and so you pretty much plug them into a calculator, and then they tell you based off of this your percentage of you know breast cancer is this, and it might tailor you towards whether or not do I need to be getting imaging sooner. So that's kind of how, um, as providers, we help determine. Like um, Dr. Kraft was mentioning earlier, you know, there are some OBs that might start you at thirty-five or thirty-eight, right. and sometimes it's often because of that that calculator. That's right. That's yep. right. So, um, so that and you mentioned. Already that they did update the guidelines on mammograms because yes. so for the longest it was conflicting evidence. So some people were telling us forty, some That's people right. were telling us fifty, and I think now everybody essentially is on the same page. Back at to forty. 40. <laughs>
1: Back to forty. Yes, which so, we are thankful. Yes, as, as oncologists and healthcare providers, we're we're thankful, and pretty much the oncology guidelines have stuck with forty mm-hmm. um, for for usually through all this. But we're glad we're back to 40.
0: And I will honestly say this. The one thing that I get worried about is they say every
1: year, or every other year, that right. is one thing that they seem like they That's don't right. still agree on. That's right. But most insurances do cover yearly. Yep. So I would I would do that if if you have access to care and which you should at this point, um, or go to the health department if you do not, because they have programs for that. But I would, I would try to see your doctor yearly and do it yearly. And I completely agree. And I tell every, you know,
0: my patients like, well, I, it says that I could do every, every now and then. There will be radiology reads that say every other year, right, based off of that guideline. And I know everything is everyone's personal experience, but literally, my mom had a, a clean mammogram and then yeah. her one-year mammogram. They found a mass like at and I'm thinking to myself, like if we had gone two years, you know, that could have really delayed it. Um, So just like Dr. Kraft said, if yours pays for yearly, I would go along the yearly route because
1: everything says the
0: sooner um, that we detect it. Ultimately, the better.
1: Now we'll say with that, I mean, probably once you start getting older, if you're of average risk, then you probably can, you know, maybe after age 55, you can consider going to every other year. Mm -hmm. But um, I would definitely if you can get it paid for and you have access to care, I would do it.
0: And so is mammogram still the kind of standard? Who needs mammogram? You kind of mentioned mammogram, yes. MRI, yes. ultrasound, whatever. Yes.
1: So usually they start with a mammogram. And usually if you do not have any symptoms, you just start with a screening mammogram. If you feel a lump or have other symptoms or have had something abnormal in the past, then they may do what's called a diagnostic mammogram, which just includes additional views and an ultrasound to look closer at that area. Um so that's kind of the next stage. If, if you've had abnormalities in the past, then you may do diagnostic mammograms and ultrasounds. And then breast MRI, which is much more sensitive, but obviously takes more time, is more expensive. But if you're at higher risk, that is something that should be included.
0: Okay perfect. And of course, I have to ask this, are they looking at anything besides mammograms? Because everyone, I literally have had some patients who have almost refused to do another mammogram
1: because of how painful and uncomfortable that experience was for them. Sure, And certainly I do think that some techs and some mammogram machines are are better than others. Um, I had a patient recently tell me that she had the best mammogram she'd ever had and that it had some pads, some pads. Padding, and she said it was just much more comfortable. Um, I also have patients tell me that if they take a Tylenol, if you don't have any reasons not to too, take Tylenol, gotcha. mm-hmm. that if they take a Tylenol, you know, an hour before that they are more comfortable. Um, but it can be a problem. I mean, there's lots of pulling and tugging yes. and, mm-hmm. and squishing. And um, so it can be a little uncomfortable for some people.
0: And I definitely add, and I say this, and encourage my patients. I'll say, please don't let that be the reason that that's you, right. that you're not getting your mammograms. Um, you know, I, I, I've started mine because of my mom's history of breast cancer, and I'm right there with you. It is a very uncomfortable um, experience, but it is quick. It it's is quick yes. You know, um, it is quick, and just like you said, some people have theirs and they're like, oh, it didn't bother me. Everyone that's had right. me ter- terrified of this, and it ended up being an okay experience. But I really hope that's not something that de- that deters patients. It's fairly quick,
1: right? Hopefully. Once a year and life saving that we know for sure. That's right. That's right. And and like we said, if you can find something on that, the earlier you find it, the easier it is to treat. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you don't want someone to wait until it's big because they're scared or, you know, if it starts bleeding or something like that. So we'd rather get you in early. Agree, and so now we've talked
0: a little bit about well, we and I think most people know mammogram is is kind of the gold standard of screening. And now we know for sure everybody if you're if you're past forty, you haven't had your first mammogram. I really encourage you to go out, um, call your provider, and go ahead and get your mammogram schedule and start your um, yearly screening for breast cancer. So I feel like you get to that step, you get your mammogram done, you get the results, they find
1: something. So yes. what is usually next? Yeah. Yes, so usually um, you get. Hopefully, you get a phone call if you have to come back. But some, sometimes it is a letter, um, and usually what they do is bring you back for more views. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will tell you, lots of people get called back. I've had lots of friends get called back, and a lot of times it turns out just fine. You know, maybe there is a density that they do a few more views and it goes away, and they just watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of times, people can have cysts. Lots of people have fibrocystic disease, which is benign and does not increase your risk of breast cancer. Um, But sometimes you get called back to look at that. So if you get called back, it doesn't always mean that it's cancer. Um, But if they call you back and it is still there and it's suspicious, then usually you go to a biopsy from there.
0: Yeah. And it seems like and
1: usually they seem like they do a mammogram and the ultrasound together most of the time. Yes. And lots of places will go ahead and do the biopsy the same day mm -hmm. if there's something that's suspicious. So usually you don't have to wait. You know, it's not too much stress and you don't have to wait too long till, you know, an answer.
0: Yep. And I feel like sometimes that can be more of a challenging conversation with my patients Is I'm like, OK, they found something. But they're not thinking that it's cancer based off the read. But that we just need more pictures. And I feel right. like sometimes that can be quite distressing. Sure, um, sure, sure. For, for quite a few people. So they come in and they get their, you know, They did find something, and they get their biopsy. What is typically the turnaround on a biopsy?
1: Usually 48 hours. Okay. Um, You know, now, of course, if you have it closer to the weekend, that could change. Mm -hmm. But usually 48 hours um, to get a diagnosis of is this cancer or not. And then it may be another two days. Um, We do look at further studies on every breast cancer. We look at what are called receptors, Mm -hmm. an estrogen receptor, progesterone receptor, and a HER2-NU. And that may take another 48 hours to kind of get that information. From MPB Think
0: Radio, this is Southern Remedy Women's Health, where we discuss issues involving women's health. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey, Assistant Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC. And I have with me today, Dr. Barbara Kraft, who is a Professor of Medicine in the Division of Oncology at UMMC and also our Breast Specialist at the University. Um, And so as we mentioned earlier, this is National Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So we kind of wanted to start off the month just reminding everybody about getting their screenings, a little bit about some risk factors of breast cancer, um, a little bit about what screening looks like and how often. So we talked a little bit about you get the biopsy, usually takes a couple of days, turnaround. Um, and as with most can- well, all cancers, the gold standard of diagnosis right. is, is tissue diagnosis, right. seeing it under a microscope yes. and saying this is, in fact, what it is. But you did kind of mention a few things that I think is pretty unique. We're learning more about in other cancers, but very well studied in breast cancer are the different hormone receptors. Right.
1: And so can you tell us a little bit about that and what that means for sure. a patient? Sure. So um like I said, we look at, in breast, the, I mean, the main ones, and then we look for everything are estrogen, progesterone, and her 2 And what it, these do, they give you an idea as far as prognosis, how fast-growing is this tumor, what is the chance of it to spread, what treatment options do we have for these patients, um... So, for example, if they're 2 positive, we have lots of targeted therapies, um, and, you know, that usually includes a combination of chemotherapy mm-hmm. and targeted therapies, and if they're ER and PR positive, then we have lots of oral endocrine therapies that we use to help treat those and hopefully keep it from coming back, or if it's someone who has spread, then we know how we can treat them long-term with this disease. So it really just kind of gives us a lot more information
0: about the, you know, once you're told you have breast cancer, it's really a whole kind of spectrum of what that looks like for a patient.
1: Yes. And I think, you know, when people get diagnosed, so say, you know, your friend calls and says, I've been diagnosed with breast cancer, um, and they have questions. I mean, those are the things we're going to ask, you know, what are the receptors? What stage are you? Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes that can be a little confusing, because when we look at the diagnosis it also gives us a grade of Mm -hmm. these cancer cells you know um, how aggressive are they how fast growing are they and they can go from low grade to high grade and sometimes when a patient gets that information that can be a little confusing Mm because sometimes they think that's the stage when it's it's something different the stage is really dependent upon how big is the cancer in the breast has it gone to lymph nodes has it gone anywhere else Gotcha. And so do you mind, ex- so um, how do we go about
0: staging all of, so they get the biopsy. Mm-hmm. I try to like, cause I get all these questions like the logistics of the diet, you know, cause sure. once you get that diagnosis, you're like, okay, what's next? Sure. sure. What do I do? And so you get the diagnosis and they c- kind of look at some receptors. So how, what is the next step? How do we go about staging cancer sure. for our patients? Um, well,
1: I think the, you know, the first thing we do is take a good history and see if they have other symptoms like weight loss or pain or things like that um, You know, you want to know how long it's been there, Mm -hmm. if it's a lump that they have found. Um, If it's a small cancer, a lot of times we do surgery up front, and often surgery can be curative in those Mm -hmm. cases. Now, we may give some extra treatment to keep it from coming back, but if it's an early-stage breast cancer, sometimes you can have your staging just with the mammogram and ultrasound and some basic lab work, um, and you don't have to go further. If it seems that something else is going on, like I said, if someone's been losing weight, having pain in other areas, having headaches, things like that, then we may need to do more additional tests with scans. PET CT, MRI, things like that.
0: Okay. So it sounds like not everybody has to go like head to dose scan looking for, because I feel like with a lot of other, and you can, of course, with a lot of other ones, you usually end up having to do scanning to make sure you stage and
1: everything. Right, right, right. I mean, we use those scans a lot, but sometimes for early stage, you don't have to do all that.
0: Gotcha. So once you guys, so a, a lot of things I think that that scare a lot of patients is when we talk about metastatic disease. Sure. So tell our
1: listeners a little bit what we mean by metastatic disease. Sure. So metastatic disease or stage four disease mm-hmm. um, means that it has spread beyond the breast and the regional lymph nodes. Um, so this could be to the bones, it could be to your lung, your liver, your brain, and um, You know, there are breast cancers, especially the estrogen and progesterone receptor positive and HER2 negative that can go to the bones. And so some people have breast cancer that have spread to the bones only. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important for people to know that you can live a long time with breast cancer in your bones. Um, Now, certainly everyone's different, Mm -hmm. um, but people can live years and years. And there's lots of commercials for some of these new drugs we're using to treat um, breast cancer. And sometimes, and One of the former um, radio hosts on this said that, you know, sometimes breast cancer becomes a chronic illness, Mm -hmm. different than diabetes or hypertension. But luckily, more and more people are living longer and living with breast cancer is what it says. So um, I think it's important to know that once you are stage four, or it has metastasized to distant organs, it's not curable, but it is definitely treatable. And we have lots more options. Um, We've got great patient advocacy groups, Mm -hmm. lots of breast cancer research still going on. So we've got lots of treatment options and lots of new targeted therapies um, that treat the breast cancer and are more directed towards those breast cancer cells and their unique abnormalities, but with less side effects. Gotcha. And
0: as you kind of talk a little bit about therapy and it tests, and I think it comes very complicated when people are like, you're diagnosed with breast cancer, and it's like, do I need chemo? Do I right. need radiation? Right. Can I just take the pill? Right. You know, how do you kind of? work through
1: that to determine what a patient's going to need yeah well like I said everybody's different Uh everybody's (laughs) an individual so it is based on stage it's based on receptors it's based on that patient and their other medical problems and what kind of shape they're in Um, so I I do think those are things that get talked about surgery radiation IV chemotherapy targeted therapy oral therapies pills Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that is all just based on on individuals, and you just have to see exactly what's going on with each person, which is why people are different. And, you know, one person may not be treated like their neighbor. Exactly. And it seems like
0: the sooner the least is at least it seems less invasive options that you have to do. Um, You know, my mom, she was I think stage one, she got her lumpectomy and radiation and we're done. But I've had also some patients that just got a lumpectomy, no radiation, none of those kind of things. So it just, you know, really. Yeah, it depends on the
1: patient, depends on their type of cancer, Mm -hmm. um, you know, their age, what kind of shape they're in um, and other things that are going on with them. Yep. And so
0: it's it's definitely one thing I will say that's that's nice about breast cancer is it's constantly being researched and we're yes. just continuing to learn so much more. The other question that I guess you may get as well in your clinic and I get some patients they've been diagnosed, they've met with their oncologist and then they come back to me and they're trying to decide um, what to do treatment wise what are what are kind of your recommendations when patients are trying to figure out where to get their treatment like you sure. know versus um I always worry my patients that want to travel for treatment because I'm like if you have complications and you're at home then your doctor is kind of a little bit further away but at least from my understanding we have
1: a lot of the things here locally that many people are traveling to get sure (laughs) yes that's right Uh, you know everything that is current standard of care for Mm -hmm. breast cancer is offered here in our state um, certainly in the Jackson metro area but really throughout the state of Mississippi now um, I do think it's important if you don't feel comfortable or if Mm -hmm. you just want another opinion i think you should always go seek another opinion for your own peace of mind and to feel comfortable with your treatment plan and your physician um i do think in some cases like we talked about there's lots of cancer clinical trials um, for breast cancer and all other types of cancer and sometimes um you know, we might not have all of those available here. And mm-hmm. so if there is something um, that's promising for you or that you're a good candidate for that somewhere else, that might be a reason to go somewhere else. Um, but we do have lots of patients who go off to, say, MD Anderson or mm-hmm. um, Memorial Sloan Kettering or somewhere else to get another opinion. But we can also partner with those physicians. Okay. And so a lot of their treatment we can get here at home and then they just go out there periodically. Okay. So we do that as well.
0: And that's good to know. And I hope people are kind of listening to that, you know, that oftentimes we can, we work in a community, the uh, the ultimate goal, most of us that went into medicine, we want to treat patients, we want to see our patients get better, we want to have successful stories. So even your local oncologist can partner with some of these other hospitals, because I do feel like, you know, I get a lot of patients that are like, you know, because of the health disparities in Mississippi, oftentimes feel like they get suboptimal care and don't necessarily realize that we have a lot of those resources locally. Right. Um, And what we don't have, your provider does have the resources to kind of connect you with those people as well and work with them so that we can work with you. Exactly. Exactly. I always just like to highlight that because I feel like, you know, we, I I, I don't know, I am a little biased because I work at UMC, but I feel like we have such great doctors there that really care. and and work really hard, and and sometimes that misconception that, you know, we don't have everything in Mississippi as other places, um, it can sometimes be true, but we can always partner, like you said, to kind of get with some
1: other people um, to help you with your treatment as well. Right, and we just really just want the patient to be the most comfortable. So, like I said, if any time you want a second opinion, um, I mean, I'm always – happy to send people and you know just ask just tell your doctor that you want another opinion and, and most people will take that well and, and yep. be happy to help you do that.
0: And we ask as primary cures I said I always like <laughs> I'll send if I get like a questionable read back on my I'm yes. like I'm pretty sure this is benign but I'm like Dr. Kraft can you look at this real quick and see if this patient needs to see you or, or right. not or can we watch so we definitely you know work as a team. So Yes that
1: and that's what and on all of our cancer programs we all have multidisciplinary groups where we all meet. Mm-hmm. Usually, once a week, and sit at the table. The surgeon, the medical oncologist, the radiation um, oncologist, the radiologist, the pathologist, we all sit together and look at each case from the beginning and try to make sure everybody's on the same page and we have a good treatment plan. Exactly.
0: From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy Women's Health, where we discuss issues involving women's health. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey, Assistant Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC. And I have on Dr. Barbara Kraft with me, who is our um, breast specialist at UMMC. And as I mentioned before, and everybody's probably aware with seeing all the pink across everywhere, um, that it is National Breast Cancer Awareness Month in October. Um, So we have just gotten a chance to spend the hour just as I mentioned at the beginning Wanting to just educate everyone About breast cancer Reminding our patients um, That when the appropriate time to screen is, what are your risk factors of breast cancer, um, and, you know, talking with your doctor about when you need to be screening and what it looks like after you're diagnosed, a little bit about what treatment and those typical options are. Um, So, you know, one of the things that uh, Barbara and I were talking about on the break is a little bit about resources. So um, what are some resources that you tell for your patients or support groups or, or things that they can reach out to those that have been diagnosed with breast cancer or even their family
1: members right right so I think especially locally our local American Cancer Society and Susan G. Komen Foundation are both great and they do a lot for our patients for family members um, we do have the Hope Lodge now here in Jackson as well where people can come stay mm-hmm. um, if if they need help with you know During times of radiation and treatment, we've got the Hope House and the Hope Lodge here. Um, But probably the best place to start would be American Cancer Society or Susan G. Komen perfect and i know also like a lot of
0: churches have support that's right you know my mom well she's in alabama but many i know many of the churches here as well you'll hear it in their you know health ministry will have support groups for you to do you know through your church as well um so lots of resources out there not just for um our
1: patients diagnosed with breast cancer but their family members too right yeah because and i think that's one of the things about breast cancer is i mean it it Really affects the family. I mean, Mm -hmm. it may be, you know, your mom, your grandmother, your sister, your daughter. um, And, you know, women play a big role in the household. And so um, I've had several patients where their children, if they were going through chemotherapy Mm -hmm. and lost their hair, their children would shave their heads at the same time and kind of go with it, go through it with their mom. Um, But, you know, the health department also has resources for patients for getting mammograms, um, not only breasts, but also cervical cancer screening. Awesome. So um, I think also reach out to them as well. Perfect. And, you know, definitely, as we said, you know,
0: it's your family members. And I feel like, you know, oftentimes the females of the family or the moms or grandmas, aunts um, are usually the ones who are really pushing to make sure that, their loved ones are taken care of, and their health is taken care of. So I really challenge the other family members to ask your sister, your mom, your aunt, have you gotten your mammogram? Have you gotten it checked out? Are you taking care of you?
1: Because That's right, because sometimes they're taking care of everyone else, and they put off their own care. So I do think it's a family effort. Mm -hmm. Everybody needs to be checking on everybody and making sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing.
0: Agreed. And then the other thing that we get in medicine now, we always talk about people's risk factors and getting cancer and all those types of things is there anything people can do to help prevent breast
1: cancer do we are we aware of something some options well sure i mean i think maintaining a healthy lifestyle trying to keep your weight under control which is tough in the south with all of our mm-hmm. great foods that we like but i think we ha- it, studies have shown that exercise keeping an ideal body weight limiting your alcohol intake all of those things can be protective are the And then the other
0: big question I get, are there any supplements or things? I know there's like studies right. that say like vitamin D. I feel like vitamin D becomes the answer for so many things. But there is like emerging studies that vitamin
1: D or sure. calcium or things of that sure. nature make help. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I do think, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people are vitamin D deficient. Uh-huh. And there's not been a link truly for breast cancer risk and vitamin D. But I, I do think it's good to Get your vitamin D level checked Just for lots of reasons Mm -hmm. Um, There aren't any supplements Or dietary things That currently have been proven Exactly. Um, Lots of people ask about sugars Avoiding sugars um, And that gets studied a lot You know, do simple sugars And things like that affect How you do once you've got breast cancer um, Or with your risk And like I said, the studies haven't really panned out But I think if people want to control their sugars And that's something they can do And it keeps a healthy body weight. That's certainly something you can do. Lots of people ask about soy as mm-hmm, well with exactly. breast cancer. Um, again, we don't have great studies on that. But I think just do a well-rounded diet, lots of vegetables and fruits and things like that. Try to keep your weight healthy and that will help. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I, t- I,
0: t- I tell my patients in clinic, I don't know that they're always having them, but I, tell, but I was like, sometimes it's, it's its not like this big magical answer. It's, right. it's really us just and it's really hard today, I will honestly say that. It's really us just doing the best we can to take care of ourselves, That's getting right. plenty of rest yeah. and exercise and and a healthy diet and those types of things across the board help our health. And it does show even with our cancer risk, including breast cancer as well. That's right. That's right. So I always ask my guests in like our final few minutes, what... Are your kind of final thoughts for patients as you're getting
1: off of the show? What is what do you want them to leave today with? I would just say, again, you know, I think lots of people in the past few years have gotten behind on their screening. So if you haven't done it, please get out there, make that appointment, get that done. And the other thing is, if you have something, if you know you've got this breast mass that you've just been hoping was going to go away, um, I I would call your doctor and, and seek medical care for that. Um, I think lots of people are scared of what will happen. And so they just let it go. And um, I would just encourage them to come on in. I completely agree. And I think you guys, as I say, um, on
0: Fridays, I always just try to remind all of our listeners that if you don't have a doctor or a primary care provider, make sure you're getting out there and getting you one. And I, just like Dr. Kraft said, encourage everyone to get out there and get their mammogram. I remind your loved ones if they haven't gotten theirs yet um, to make sure that they're getting screened for breast cancer as well. This is Southern Rem- Remedy Women's Health. It's a production of the Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from listeners like you. Today's show was engineered by Abram Nanny. I am Dr. Jasmine Kinsey. Join us next Friday at 11 for Southern Remedy Women's Health on MPB Think Radio.
1: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.